Hey, this is Matthew's Table podcast channel. We wanted to thank you for joining us today. Hope this inspires you, builds your faith, and reminds you of who you are, but more importantly, whose you are. Enjoy the Go on and give God a big hand for all the lives changed that we witnessed and celebrated this morning. God is good all the time. Thank you, Jesus. Um, real quick, we're going to go ahead and run through the announcements. I, I guess we ran out of bulletins. That's why there's not enough to go around. So if you're a couple and you both have a bulletin, raise one up, will you? Yeah. So if anybody would like a bulletin, there's one there that you could grab. With that being said, let's go ahead and and do the announcements. Uh, We talked a little bit about this last week, but I want to remind all the ladies that the WOW event for February, where's my wife, is February 10th at 6 o'clock. 6.30 at Living Faith Baptist and Matthew's Tables women are hosting it there. One of our own ladies will be speaking, we'll be doing the food and the music. So if anybody's interested in going to that or helping the Matthew, other than Whammy, Whammy's the only guy that tries to go to all the women's Bible studies. But, uh, he does. does. Uh, that's cool. Uh, but anyways, get with Brittany or Jonna or uh, somebody else. One of the women, let them know that's February 10th. That would be next Monday night. Not this Monday, but next Monday night. Um, we'd love for all the women to go. Also, uh, there's a budget class starting February 19th. Wednesday nights from 6 to 7. It costs each person $20 one time, one $20 bill. It's $5 for four weeks. That pays for childcare so we can become better stewards of our money and learn how to save money and not spend all of our money, right? February 2nd, a lot of y'all just got your check yesterday and it's gone already, right? Energy drinks and cigarettes and everything else, but... Uh, so, hey, budget class, we'd, we'd like to invite all you guys to come to that and learn how to better budget your money. We'll call it your money for now. It's really God's money. But if that, you, you'll learn a lot of that when you're there. So we, we'd like to, uh, inv- anybody that wants to do that can get with Rob Penny or Nick Martin in the back after this uh, and get signed up so that we know that you're coming. Finally, last announcement is uh, you guys know and others of you who are new here today notice we don't pass baskets. I get a lot of pressure from some, I won't say who, that says we should pass baskets, but we don't because I want you guys to give and give from your heart and God calls us to give. So if you're committed to Matthew's table, make sure you're giving uh, in the box there next to the door or you can also text to give 73256. You just text Matthew's table all together, okay? Matthew's table, it'll send you a link and then you'll put in what you want to give. And uh, by the way, that's, that's what helps us do what we do, right? 
So the, the more committed you are to giving to what God's doing at Matthew's table, the more we are able to do for those at Matthew's table. Okay? All right. I'm going to ask uh, the Lord to um, help me this morning. Uh, anybody drop this? Seth Williams, isn't this yours? No? Anybody else? This was in the floor out there. Kiana's? Okay. Is she in here? Okay. I'll save it for her. Seth going to be mad at me all day. All right. I'm going to go ahead and uh, ask the Lord to be with me. Father, we just give thanks again uh, after witnessing and celebrating the work that you are doing in the lives here at Matthew's table. What a, what a glorious day to see women and a child stand before you and proclaim your name, commit to following you publicly in front of other people as a result of placing their faith in Christ and trusting in the work that you've done with and through him on the cross, giving us the spirit to raise from death to life so that we can follow you. Lord, what a beautiful thing that is. Thank you for allowing us to just be a small part of what's taking place. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Okay. So historically, you guys know that we had been going through the book of John, the gospel of John, for uh, it be three years in May, but we'll finish it in April, right before Easter. But uh, we've been tracking through that and historically speaking with, uh, with church folk. The passage that we're covering today, that we'd, we'd be covering it on Easter morning. It'd be uh, the empty tomb, the resurrection, right? And unfortunately, uh, we usually only cover that on Easter, which is a shame because of the significance of the resurrection for the Christian church, right? It's so critical to Christianity that if you can disprove the resurrection, Christianity crumbles. Christianity falls apart, right? I want you to think about how important that is just for a second. The resurrection of Jesus Christ and how important that is for your faith. The resurrection of Jesus is single-handedly the most important part of the Bible. It's the Super Bowl of the Bible, right? Matter of fact, the resurrection is the main event of Christianity because we believe he is risen. Amen? Defeating the enemy, overcoming death, and giving us the hope to which we have in Christ to live forever. I don't know why I'm spitting, but I am. So don't pay no attention to that. Mom was up here like this, all over her face. But he is risen. So like when we say that and when do we believe that, do you guys think to yourself, amen, do you, do you think a lot about the fact that God has taken Christ and, and defeated death and defeated sin, and he has risen from the grave and ascended to the Father, sitting at the right hand, interceding for each and every one of us, Right? How often do you think about that? Because that should be the main thing that we think about in regards to our own faith. It's what empowers us and enables us to be and do everything, everything and every, every, everything about who we are, right? I don't know. Couldn't get that out. That's good work. 
Resurrection. Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 14 through 17. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain. It's useless. What I'm doing this morning, if Christ has not been raised, this is useless, right? We are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise, if it is true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is useless and you are still in your sins. Every one of us are still awaiting the wrath of God. It's a saying, uh, that saying's a lot for a man who personally, the Apostle Paul, had given up everything to forfeit his privileges and put his life on the line. He was in, you know, he was in order to become the next major religious leader. He came from a very wealthy family. He had everything to gain to stay a religious man and everything to lose to become a follower of Jesus Christ. So let's see what we can learn from our passage this morning and, if, and see if we have the same assurance that the disciples did themselves. John chapter 20, verse 1 through 10. Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb and we do not know where they have laid him. So Peter went out with the other disciple and they were going towards the tomb. Both of them were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. And stooping to look in, he saw the linen cloths lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came following him and went into the tomb. He saw the linen cloths lying there and the face cloth which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloths, but folded up in a place by itself. Then the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went in and he saw and believed. For as yet they did not understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to their homes. So knowing how significant that passage is to our faith, as Paul made very clear, it's useless if Christ has not risen from the dead. It's important that we uh, understand, maybe educate ourselves with a few arguments against the resurrection, like things that you may be asked or things that would uh, someone would try to argue in uh, against the resurrection so that you can defend your faith. Um, I have just I have just a few. There's there's actually quite a few of them. Uh, I picked three just because I feel like they're they're the more important and they're the uh, most gone to by unbelievers or atheists or whoever. So these fir this first argument would be um, that the body was stolen, right? So maybe maybe either the Jews stole the body and did something with it or. 
Even better, the more famous one is that the disciples stole the body and did something with it so that everybody would believe that Jesus had been risen, right? Yet, the passage says that when they approached the tomb and entered the tomb, that the grave clothes had been undisturbed, and it would make no sense that the Jews would steal the body and place it somewhere else because the remains of Jesus would have discredited the resurrection altogether, right? So if the body of Jesus could be found, then it would discredit the claim that he'd been resurrected, right? And then uh, there's this fabricated story in Matthew chapter 28, verses 11 through 15. I'm going to read it to you real quick. It's, just, it's the report of the guard. So if the body had been stolen, they would have had to overpower the guard, roll away the stone, grab the body, and run out with being noticed, right? But that couldn't have happened, and I'll show you why. The report of the guard in Matthew 28, 11 through 15, while they were going, behold, some of the guards went into the city and told the chief priests all that had taken place. And when they had assembled with the elders and taken counsel, they gave a sufficient sum of money to the soldiers and said... Tell people his disciples came by night and stole him away while we were asleep. And if this comes to the governor's ears, we'll satisfy him, keep you out of trouble. So they took the money and did as they were directed. And this story has been spread among the Jews to this very day. That's what the Bible says. Now, my question is, why would they have to fabricate a story unless the tomb was really empty? Amen? Why would they have fabricated a story unless the tomb was really empty? And if it was the disciples who stole the body, they would have surely not died for a lie. Right? The second one is kind of more for... The, the argument for the resurrection, not against, but it could still be used both ways. So I wanted to, but I wanted to point this out because it's important. The witnesses, those who first arrived at the tomb, every gospel account mentions the women arriving at the tomb first. Now, this is important because I want you to understand what first century Palestine culture was, right? So in their culture, the witness of a woman was insignificant. So I'm going to read two excerpts real quick. It reads like this. Any evidence which a woman gives is not valid. Also, they are not valid to offer any evidence. That's from the Talmud, from the Jewish uh, uh, source, okay? And then there's this one. But let not the testimony of women be admitted on account of the levity and boldness of their sex. That's Josephus, a Jewish historian who wrote. So their perspective was if anybody was to give witness and testify to something, it couldn't be the women. Now, that's important because if I'm John and I'm writing the gospel and I want you to believe what I'm writing to be true, I am not going to use women as the witnesses to the resurrected Christ. Right? If the gospel accounts were to be written by the authors, or the authors supporting their case, they wouldn't have used women as the witnesses. 
And the final one is, they all went to the wrong tomb. This is the one probably used the most. They all went to the wrong tomb. And, and I find that kind of hard to believe that not just the women, but also all of the disciples, also the Roman guards, also all the Jews, also even Joseph of Arimathea, whose tomb it was, he bought and gave to them, right? And by the way, wouldn't the Sanhedrin, the religious people of that time, who was actually responsible for making sure Christ was crucified, wouldn't they have just went to the right tomb and found the body and showed everybody? So none of those seem to have a lot of weight, in my opinion, right? But the argument that I want to focus on this morning, which is the most convincing to me, mainly because I can relate to it, is the transformation of the disciples. The changed lives as a result of witnessing Jesus Christ, right? We went from some guys who didn't believe or understand anything at all right? Who constantly challenged Jesus in everything that he was doing, questioning Jesus's every move and scattered at the first sign of trouble. And don't leave this out, but deserted him at the cross. Left him. To become bold martyrs, men who die for their faith, willing to suffer, dying for what they believe, in, and all because of what they saw. It's so important. I want you to hear me say it this morning. Remember, they personally witnessed the miracles of Jesus Christ. They saw it with their own eyes. And each sequence of the gospel Account the life of Jesus Christ, the ministry, the death of Jesus Christ, crucified on the cross, the burial of Jesus Christ being put in the tomb and the stone put in front of it, right? But not yet the resurrected Jesus Christ before John and Peter believed. They ended up seeing the resurrected Jesus Christ, but they had not yet at this point. So for Peter and John, it was the scene in the empty tomb that caused them to believe. Which leads me to believe that scene told a story because verse 8 says, Then the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went in and he saw and believed. Okay? So let's consider the scene that they came to and see what we can figure out. Jesus, think about this for just a second. Jesus has been crucified. Uh, he's he's uh, endured and experienced a horrific death. They, he's dead. He's laying in the tomb. And after three days, he rises from the dead. And he goes out of his way to make the tomb a place that the disciples would see and understand, okay? And just because you guys already know that I am an armchair detective, 
with all the crime shows that I've confessed to watching, I got 20 seasons of NYPD Blue under my belt, 15 seasons of Blue Bloods underneath my belt. I've watched every Confessions of Killers on Netflix that's ever been on there. I've watched them all. I'm telling you, I know how to, to determine a crime scene. Every bit of it. I can tell you every piece of evidence at the crime scene is very crucial to understanding what went down, right? And oddly enough, the author points out two things to consider, the grave clothes and the folded napkin. It's actually a face cloth, but we'll call it a napkin, right? So I want to address the folded napkin first because Jesus rises from the dead and takes the time to carefully fold the napkin. And remember, the disciples are defeated, they're discouraged, they're disappointed, they're back wherever they were, hanging out, they're probably crying, they can't believe what they just witnessed. Jesus, meanwhile, is in the tomb, assuming it's dark, but he is light, I don't know, and he's just carefully folding this little napkin because that probably didn't mean anything, right? Wrong. tells me there's a meaning behind what he'd done and he knew that it would speak to the disciples when they saw it. Why not just throw it off your face or just lay it to the side? Right? Why fold it unless it was so the people discovering the empty tomb would see what you wanted them to see? I'll tell you why. Because it was Hebrew tradition when the master would be eating his meal and the servant would be waiting out of sight. And if the master had to leave the table, he would use the napkin as a sign to the servant. If the napkin was wadded up or laid to the side, just thrown down, it meant that the master was done, that he was finished. But if the master wasn't finished and he was coming back, he would fold his napkin up very neatly to let the servant know not to touch his food. He was coming back. And if that's not cool enough, maybe the grave clothes will help us understand why they believe because it's the grave clothes representing sin and death that points to a resurrected Jesus going from the natural to the spiritual. Literally, death to life. Physically and spiritually. And I think about this and I can imagine John standing in the empty tomb and everything Jesus had been telling them, I will, I will destroy this temple and raise it back up in three days. All the being raised back to life uh, references found in the New Testament. Replaying in his mind. Just recalling all those things that Jesus was saying and doing as well as everything from the Old Testament scriptures that he knew about. The Jonah being in the belly of the, for three, three days. All the references to a resurrected Christ. All his, all his life, all the way back to the garden. This is important. I'm about to give you all the history of clothes. 
It sounds really boring, but I think it's kind of cool. But it's important because it, it's the reference to the grave clothes. Like it's, the under, it's, it's like what John saw and, and all of a sudden begin to understand. So God created man and woman, and it was good, right? Everything was good. If there was ever a period where it was as close to what heaven and the new earth would ever look like, it was right then. Everything was good. And sin, the enemy, deceived them, and sin became a reality. And they got kicked out of the garden, right? And what happened? Genesis 3, verse 21, the Lord God made clothing from skins from animals for the man and his wife, and he clothed them. They'd never been clothed until this point, but the shame and the guilt. Now, something to consider. This is speculation. This is a, this is a perspective, but many people would argue that this was actually the first sacrifice to ever take place. God had to have sacrificed an animal to cover the man and woman. And what we think about as clothes today wasn't what they were wearing then. It was skins, animal skins. And others would say that he, he made them wear those animal skins because it reminded them of their sin. It was the purpose of their clothes. And if that was to be true, and if that was the case, then the grave clothes pointed to both sin and death. Because sin leads to death. Wages of sin are death, which consists of grave clothes. And because John, well listen, go back to John chapter 11, John had witnessed Lazarus being raised from the dead with his grave clothes still on, John knew Jesus was exactly who he said he was. God in the flesh. If you guys remember, Jesus asked his disciples to take off Lazarus' grave clothes. Y'all remember that? Evidence of how the church helps one another that one may become baptized today, professing faith, promising to follow Jesus, but still need help growing in their faith, to which each of us are responsible for removing some of those grave clothes slowly, right? But Jesus removed his own grave clothes demonstrating the difference between us and him, causing John to believe, changing his life forever. He knew it took the power of God to change a person. Our works, our best efforts couldn't do what God did with Jesus. Amen? And that's why, that's, why, that's why Jesus was so opposed to the religious people of that day, who he called whitewashed tombs. Because they looked the part, they played the part with their church clothes on, but they still had the same old heart. These are my church clothes. Right? 
I don't have to try to dress up to impress nobody. I don't have to, I got to quit thinking that maybe if I work my way into improving my outside, everybody will accept me for who I am, right? Matthew chapter 15, verse 8 says, This people honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. They worship me in vain, teaching as doctrines human commands. Prepare to be offended. But we can put lipstick on a pig. But it's still a pig, right? And the point of that is this. The evidence of a changed person is not what's on the outside. It's not what you wear. What we wear don't don't make us any better. Yet we're all tempted to appear to be better by what we wear or what we know or where we live, right? Maybe if I move into the nicer neighborhood, then everybody will think more highly of me. Maybe if I'm wearing nicer clothes, then everybody will assume that I'm a better person, right? They won't remember me for who I was because I've changed the outside. And we do all those things so we can fit in with the who's who around us. That's why Jesus called them whitewashed tombs. They were fake. They were all about the outside and not not about the inside. We feel obligated to change our appearance in some form or fashion so that we'll be accepted and people might forget who we once were. However, your church clothes are grave clothes. So look at your neighbor and say, nice grave clothes you got on. Because I don't care how nice they are. They can't make you a better person. That's the point. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with having nice clothes. There's not. It's the intent. It's the motive behind your heart. If you're trying to dress yourself up, you just look like a prettied up pig. God doesn't want you to clean up with name brand clothes, but rather he would have you cut out name brand sins. You're gossiping, you're slandering, your drunkenness, you're looking at stuff you shouldn't be looking at. Doing all the things you know God wouldn't want you to do. You can dress up. He don't care about your Tommy Hill figure. He'd care less. He cares about, Paul says in, in Colossians chapter 3 that if then you've been raised with Christ, put on the new clothes of Christ. Humility, patience, compassion. Right? That's your homework today. Go read Colossians chapter 3. That's because your church clothes ain't clothes at all.
the characteristics of Jesus Christ Himself. Nobody cares what you look like. Care who you are. You know how many times I've been asked, or I've, somebody's told somebody, yeah, this is my pastor, and they just look at me like, <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like, what? What's wrong, dude? What's wrong? Like a book? I don't know. You know what I mean? It's real. We do it, right? We make a decision based on what somebody's wearing or what they look like. And it's anti-gospel. It's anti-biblical. I'm going to tell you right now, some of the best people I've ever known, ever been, I've been around a lot of different socio-economical groups in ministry, and I'm telling you right now, I wouldn't, I'd rather ride with every one of you in here for the rest of my life than anybody else outside of here. I'm just being honest with you. I mean that. Because the evidence of a changed person is simply the, by, uh, by and through the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's not the outside, it's the inside. And the music team can now come up, please. I want to tell you guys, uh, I want to share something kind of cool with you too. Because some of you may still not believe some of the things I've just shared with you. But in, in the book... The Bible is the one I'm talking about, right? Uh, it mentions another book, okay, called the Book of Life, right? Moses mentions it, the Psalms mentions it, Daniel mentions it, and Revelations mentions it. It's the Book of Life. This book has, well, I'm just going to ask you a question. Do you know what's in the Book of Life? Your name. Not your appearance. Not your Facebook profile pic. Not your glamour shots from your senior pictures. Your name. And Snapchat filters can't change your name. Only the power of a living God who calls you out by your name, not your sin. And he causes you to be different with the name above all names that every knee will bow down to. See, when you, Roger Chilton, align yourself and put yourself under Jesus Christ, the name above all names, you then have the power to overcome and be raised from death to life, right? Yes, sir. Guys, I say all that to say this, and the prayer team could come forward. The greatest evidence to the resurrection of Christ is the changed lives of the weak-minded, weak-willed disciples. And not because there are enough facts to prove that the tomb was empty. That wouldn't be faith at all. Matter of fact, God is never going to send us an x-ray of the tomb with Jesus in it, or a video rather, of Jesus in it being raised to death and rolling the stone away and leaving. It's not going to happen. If you're waiting on it, you ain't going to believe anyways. And in the same way God raised Jesus Christ from the death, He can do the same for you. Not based on what you have done, right? But based on what He has done for you. I shared my testimony with you guys a couple weeks ago 
uh, in another sermon how I had no desire to love God or others, literally, but was selfish and self-centered and only concerned about loving myself until God revealed Jesus Christ to me. And he wrecked my life. He changed all my desires, right? Giving me a new heart and putting his spirit within me and setting me free. And this morning I can testify to the same power that resurrected Christ from the dead lives in me, causing me to go from death to life and helping me overcome sin. And the good news this morning, guys, is that same power, that resurrection power is available for you. So this morning, there'll be the prayer team down here. We're going to close in song. Don't you, those, y'all got plenty of cigarettes. You got plenty of time to smoke them. That's right. Stick around with us. You guys have heard a, uh, the absolute truth, the gospel account. You've been told about a man named Jesus, right? So take this last five, ten minutes and respond to what you've heard, whether it's standing still and just praying or coming forward and asking for prayer. Know that God desires a relationship with each and every one of you. And only through God can you have the power to defeat and overcome all the things that you're battling right now. Will you join us? Hey, thank you for joining us. Special thanks to those who sow into this ministry. It's because of you this ministry is possible. If you like what you've heard, click the subscribe button and share this podcast with your friends. Thank you for listening. Have a great week. God bless.